There's a uh, passage in the New Testament that's a quote from the Old, and it says there that no eye has seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And I love so very much what Paul adds to that when he says, but God has revealed it to us now by his spirit. When we gather as we do on a Sunday, come from different places, different houses, different things going on in our lives, and we we come to this one room here. And we see our friends. We see some of those who helped us in the Christmas decorations. And others that we may have talked with during the week. Someone maybe we had a meal with or a cup of coffee. And we catch up with one another. And it's good. And yet something more important is happening when we gather because the living God meets with us. And once in a while, he's gracious to us and he gives us that special glimpse into the kingdom and what it's going to be like. And this morning, it's one of those mornings for me, you know, that, that sense of fullness, a sense of completeness, a sense that it doesn't matter what happens now. I have been in the presence of of the living God. And once you've tasted that, there is nothing else in this world that you have an appetite for. And you realize every good thing that you've ever had has indeed come from him. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. And Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount, and he's bringing it to a close here. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is God's word that goes forth from his mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish God's purposes and achieve his desires. Would you pray with me now, please? Father, we uh, once again thank you for your uh, goodness to us. A wonderful time of the year for us. And um, uh, as we uh, remember to give thanks and look forward to uh, celebrating the birth of our Savior. 
And, Lord, at times like this, we do remember. We acknowledge that all the good things we have in this life have come from you. And of all of the gifts you've given us, the best gift you have given has been your Son. You gave us yourself when you sent him to die on that cross and take our sins away. And, Lord, you have also given us your Holy Spirit to enable us to live the life you've called us to. And we gather here today around your word. It's you that we seek. It's your truth that we want. We don't want to hear merely a word from some man, no matter how nice or good that man may be or whatever position he might hold. What we want, what we need, is a word from you. And Lord, so as you do, over and over again, we ask that you would speak to us now. Speak to us in those quiet places in our heart where no one but you may walk. And Father, it is my prayer, if there's even just one person here today that needs to hear what you have to say, I pray that you would open that person's heart, that you would speak directly to them, that they would know that you're speaking, and that their life would be changed. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. So it was um, not very many years after I had become a Christian when uh, a good friend of mine, as a matter of fact, the man who led me to Jesus Christ, uh, asked me a question. And, um, and he asked it because it had taken hold of his heart and soul. And the question was this, and I know you've heard it. Uh, he said, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now, I, I know that a, a lot of people think of that uh, phrase as though it were simply a cliché, but it was not a cliché to my friend George. It was important to him, and nor was it to me. We saw in that uh, uh, an echo, uh, a reflection of the wisdom of heaven. And it is not a trite saying to people in other parts of our world who um, indeed, show evidence of being Christians and the sentence that is passed on them sometimes is the sentence of death. Here in this country we don't face such dramatic things. Usually the worst that happens to us is a little bit of ridicule. But that uh, question should never be considered trite because the truth of the matter is is that we will all one day stand before the king of the universe and we will answer a question very much like that. We will be asked, what evidence is there that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a series of parables that uh, occur in Matthew chapter 25. And it seemed good to me, and I believe 
if I was led by the Spirit to talk about these parables. We finished this series on the book of Revelation and thinking about what ought to follow between that point and Christmas, I felt led to these particular parables, you know. And Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about those very things. He talks about the end times, the last days. And as he finishes telling about that, in the words that he used, he gives us these parables and he tells us what the kingdom will be like in those days. And every one of those parables um, really uh, reveal our hearts to us. Um, uh, and in those three parables, if you'll remember, um, we saw, or actually we've seen two of them so far. The first one showed us that if we really belong to Jesus Christ, that our our hearts will long for his return. We'll want to see him again. And then the second parable that we looked at, we saw that those who know Christ will spend their lives on advancing the kingdom. We can think of it as we use our gifts and talents and abilities to do that, but in reality what we're doing is spending our life in advancing his kingdom. And today we're going to look at another one of those parables. And all three of these things that we look at really need to be present. They need to be evident in our life if we're really followers of Christ. Not just one would be enough. The three things, in a sense, make up a description of the follower of Christ. Now, again, there was another parable that we haven't looked at at the end of chapter 4 that likely we will look at next week if the Lord wills. Uh, But these parables really do help us to evaluate where do we stand? Where are we? Are we in the faith or not? The passage we look at today um, comes at the very end of Matthew chapter 25. And verses 31 through 46, and I'd invite you to join me there now in your scriptures, or, of course, look on the screen on either side of me. Now, this passage that we're looking at today opens using rather simple words, communicating a a really straightforward concept, because I think all people at heart understand the judgment. Every religion that there is seems to take into account this concept that one way or another we have to give an account to ourselves. And yet for all of the simplicity of the scene that we set before us here, there there seems to be this glory that hangs all about it. The scene itself seems to be bathed in glory. And so we read in verses 31 and following, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. You see, the day of glory will be there before us and it is laid out before us here in this passage by telling us that Jesus will come in glory and he will sit on a glorious throne but that glory is also revealed because all of the angels of heaven will be there with him in that court and all of the nations of the earth will come before him and he will begin the judgment there be dividing the people who all people who have ever lived into two groups. Now I read those words and 
And they really do instill in me a sense of awe. And it's really not just me. I, I know that many other people, when they come to this passage, and this description, or descriptions like it, it those people who have a hope in the return of Christ, they experience the same thrill that I experience. You know, I sit down, and if, I, if, not, if I'm not falling into the trap that we so often fall into as we read the Scriptures where we realize that we're thinking about something else when we read, and, and if we can, we just start over again so we really read it. And we come to a, a, a section like this, and we, we just sense the majesty and the glory of it. But I have to tell you, the truth of the matter is, for me, it was for a long time, and it were just words, you know. I, I believed them to be true, but they were just words. And, but as I grew in my faith, I, they became, as so often happens in the case of God's truth, more than just words. They became real to me. And I don't know any other way to say it than that, to, to say that they began to form this kind of a, a picture in my mind. I, and I began to sense, to see that glory with my mind's eye. And I don't know who see it fully. I know I don't understand it all. It's only a hint. It's only like a shadow of what will be. But it is true. It's a true hint. It's a true shadow of what will come. That day will be more than that picture in my mind. It will be more than that sense of awe that comes over me when I read these words with meaning. More than that awe which inspires me now. You know, in our first year of marriage, uh, living in a little apartment over a garage in the tiny town of Pedrick, New Jersey, uh, Ann told me one day that she was going to make a pork roast for dinner that evening. Uh, the announcement really didn't thrill me. Um, I'd never had a pork roast before, but my experience with roasts in general up until that point was not encouraging. My mother was uh, really, in a lot of ways, a really very good cook, and I, I loved the things she made, but somehow she must have missed school the day that lesson was taught. Yeah, our roasts were tough, <laughs> And they were dry. Uh, jerky really had nothing in comparison to my mother's roast. They were interesting mostly as a chewing exercise. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> but it's true. So I could have been told that what Ann was making for me was good. But I don't know for sure if I would have believed it. And I spent that day preparing for that evening. As I drove home to my bride, I was prepared to do an awful lot of chewing, and all the while I was hoping that there wouldn't be too many leftovers. <laughs> so I parked the car, and I began walking up the uh, outside stairway to that apartment, but before I even opened the door, the smell that met me was just really wonderful. And I began to think, maybe this pork roast might not be so bad after all. Maybe I'll even enjoy the chewing. Of course, when I sat down and began to eat, it was so tender, it was so moist, it was so tasty, and I thought, where have you been all my life? 
you know, you know, the smell was good, and it let me know I was in for something really special, but eating was even better. And Ann's pork roast are now, to this day, one of my favorite meals. See, the glory that we experience when we read a passage like this is kind of like the smell of that pork roast. It's only a hint, but it's a real hint, and we know something even better awaits for us. And if you if you read a passage like this, or you hear a passage like that, and you feel that tingle kind of climbing up your spine as you read or hear those words, you, you have some sense of what that day will be like. Now we've already mentioned that not everyone has had that same sense of all, uh, that it may not have come to you yet. You may just simply believe it because you know it's got to be true because it's in God's word. It may not have come to you yet because we all are growing in our faith. We grow in different ways and in different areas and at different speeds. And what's important really isn't that you have that feeling, but that you really do believe it. But, but it's such a good thing when you experience some sense of awe when you read a passage like that. But you know, it is entirely possible to experience the exact opposite of that thrill. It's possible for someone to read these words or to hear these words, maybe for the first time, and maybe to have their first real taste of terror. For them... The smell is the smell of death. And the promise of that smell is death itself. Now I have to tell you, that's not God's intention for anyone. See, he wants everyone to experience that same thrill. He wants people who to know that same uh, feeling that people down through the ages to know when they've come to this passage, when they write about it and they talk about it and use that exalted language to try to describe something of what has touched their heart. God wants that for everyone. And I know that because it's a consistent teaching of the scriptures. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to a knowledge of truth. He doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would rather turn from their sin. And Jesus promised to draw all people to himself. And this passage here reveals that same truth. And it does so first by telling us something about the kingdom of God, and then by telling us something about hell. So in verse 34, we find this truth about the kingdom of God. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance of the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now there's more to say about this passage. Uh, who is Jesus talking about and the blessing of the Father and, and, and about that concept of inheritance. But for now I want you to notice that the kingdom of God was prepared for us from the very creation of the world. It's what God wants for all people, that they should enter his kingdom. It was prepared right from the very beginning. And when we look at this parable... Uh, it tells us that, but it also teaches us something about hell. We discover something else entirely when we see what he says to say about hell in verse 41. We read there, Then he will say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And, and again, more to say about this, but, but we learn something important here. You see, hell was not made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. And yet, people end up there. I mean, the passage tells us that clearly. In fact, it's Jesus who's going to send them there. But it's not because it's what God wanted. Rather, as we will see, it's because they turned their backs on Jesus. You see, the truth is, everyone who has ever lived, everyone who's living now, everyone who has ever lived or who yet will live, will one day find themselves either in the kingdom of God or excluded from it forever. Now, we really saw that hinted to as the passage opens. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the uh, people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. See, all the nations will be gathered before Christ. Nations that exist today. And those that have since expired long ago, Babylon and the Medes and the Persians and Greece and Rome and the Parthians and the old Soviet Union and modern-day Russia and China and America, every nation that has ever existed under the heavens will be there on that day. And that term nations really isn't just nations as we think about it, but it includes all kinds of subgroups within those countries, tribes and languages and and peoples and everyone will stand before Christ. And from that vast multitude, from all their different backgrounds and languages and cultures and everything else, from that vast multitude, Jesus will separate them into simply two groups. The sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left because I want to believe that every one of you in here will stand on his right hand. See, and we may have trouble telling the sheep from the goats, but Christ won't. He knows. To us, they might look alike. You know, the frailty of the saints, the fact that we sin, the hypocrisy of the lost often hides the truth from us. But Jesus is not fooled he knows and heaven heaven was made for you and hell was not but you can find yourself there every person will find himself or herself in one or the other group based on what they did with Christ you'll either be in the kingdom with joy forever or on the outside where terror will be your constant companion and it's all based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. According to this parable, the evidence of that relationship comes from how you treat other believers. Now, of course, that certainly translates into how you treat everyone or anyone, but the emphasis here is how you will treat those who belong to Jesus Christ. So after inviting the blessed to enter his kingdom, Jesus tells us why in verses 35 and 36. Listen to what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. 
And Jesus says here that he had some need. And the blessed met that need. And the people in the parable, they, they're surprised by this, right? I mean, we're not because we've read the parable. We understand what he's going to say next. But, but to make the parable work, those people didn't understand it. They, they, they thought, how could it possibly be that I could have done something like that? Only, only those who had lived when Jesus walked the earth could have possibly met those kind of needs for him. And those would be only a handful. And, and we can see their surprise in the response in 37 and following. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give me something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And they simply don't understand how this could be until Jesus explains it to them in verse 40. And the king will reply. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So whatever you do for a fellow believer, it's the same as if though you had done that to Christ Jesus himself. So those who belong to Christ, what will they do? They, they will come to the aid of others who belong to Christ the love we show fellow believers flows out of our faith in Christ. And the opposite's also true. Those who don't know Christ won't act like Christians do. They won't do those kinds of things. And so, after inviting his people into his kingdom, Jesus turns his attention to those on the outside. He, he, he talks about the same kinds of things. The hunger, and the thirst, and the want, and the need, and he and he tells them how they didn't meet them, beginning in verse 41. Then he says, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they ask the exact same question that the believers ask. They say, when did we ever see you in any of those conditions? And Jesus' reply is the same except in the negative. When he says, truly I tell you, whoever, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. One of the most important evidences for our relationship with Jesus Christ, or the lack of that relationship, is how we treat other believers. Now, there's no mistake that God puts this in his word. We need to look at ourselves. We need to, to see how do we measure up here. Are we in the faith or not? And when you look at this list, I mean, think about it. It's repeated in this passage four times for emphasis. And, and you discover something when you look at it. There is really nothing extraordinary there. Feeding someone who's hungry, giving them water when they're thirsty, helping someone in need, providing clothes for those without, caring for the sick, visiting someone in prison, 
None of those things are too difficult for any one of us to do. In a sense, they are ordinary acts of kindness. They're within the reach of every believer or unbeliever alike. Now, of course, you might be hungry and and not be able to feed someone else yourself, but the question is, if, if you did have food, would you share it? You believe it would. Believe it would, even if the future was unsure, because it's what Christ would have them do. Because that person is my brother or sister, because I am going to trust Christ to provide. Many people wouldn't, you know. You know, all sorts of people in our world today, you've heard the commercials, haven't you, on radio, seen them on television, whatever, to get ready to buy that food, that emergency food for the day of disaster. They've stored up all kinds of foods and supplies, but there's no thought of sharing. Most of them have uh, the means to protect what they think of as their own. But a believer is going to share what he has no matter what, share what she has no matter what's happening in the world because we belong to Christ. See, having a relationship with Christ makes all the difference in the things that we do. And you know what makes these acts of what we would call ordinary kindness uh, just a little bit different is that they are done specifically for those who follow Christ. So the believer will see a fellow believer and respond with what he or she has, whether it's much or little. And the unbeliever sees the same need and offers only excuses and does nothing at all, even though it's one of Christ's own who's hurting. Our faith is revealed in our actions. There's no way around that, friends. It's either there or it's not. You know, when I was uh, in junior high school, that's what they called it back then. I, I believe it, the term today is middle school, but I'm not sure. But back in those old, old days, uh, the gas station at the very edge of our neighborhood was sold and a new owner took over. And during the day, the owner worked the pumps and he repaired gara- uh, cars in the garage and in the evening, he had Butch to put gas in the cars of customers. Times, of course, have changed. We put our own cars in now. But Butch was, he was uh, out of high school, late teens, early 20s. Uh, I'm not really sure. And the guys of our neighborhood, um, uh, they thought of him as something of a kind of a hero, though I use that word really loosely. He, he would let those guys hang out at that gas station. I didn't talk his nonsense to them. And they soaked it all in like they were sitting at the feet of Solomon. And I would have been right there with them if I could, but I wasn't allowed. It wasn't my parents that forbid it. It was Butch himself. Butch simply did not like me. I don't know why. He just didn't like me. He, he took a dislike to me the very first time he saw me. The very first time I went up there with the other kids, who I thought of as my friends, he looked at me and he said, You, get out of here. Now, I don't want you around. So what can I do? I left. <laughs> Several times my friends would say to me, uh, Come on, let's go up to the station. And like an idiot, I would go. 
always with the same results and always being chased away by Butch. And, and my friends always let me go by myself. They stayed there in the company of a person who hated their friend. I, I really can't tell you, begin to tell you of how much that hurt, not just being chased away by that man, but because I was being deserted by those that I thought were my friends, the guys. You know, it took a while, but I learned something. I learned something from that episode. I discovered that not everyone who claims to be your friend really is. A friend is someone who will stand with you. A real friend would have left with me or stood up to Butch. The truth was, if my so-called friends had have stood up to him, if they'd have threatened to leave, Butch would have relented. You see, he liked being the big guy on campus. He would have put up with me just to keep his audience real friend stands by his friends. I learned that, and it stuck with me. And 20 years later, when my friend and pastor of my home church was going through a hard time, when 300 people left that church and turned their back on And they would talk to me about him and complain, and I'd hear what they said, and I could identify with so much of what they said, not realizing how how people's attitudes and hearts can affect the Word of God and the messages it goes forth. I was tempted because I understood what they said. But he was my friend, and he wasn't living in sin. And I knew he was trying to live right and do right. And I made up my mind. I would stand by him no matter what happened. I told you this story before. I remember that last day, that last Sunday, when the last complaining family left. I remember it was like somebody had opened the windows in the sanctuary and the clean, clear, wonderful Spirit of God blew through that place and everyone in there could tell the difference. You know, I don't want to be too hard on those guys. I mean, we were all young. We were learning how to make our way through the world. and Eventually, they tired of Butch and things went back to normal. Well, maybe not quite. See, I understood now what I... I didn't understand before, and I learned it the hard way, just what it meant to be a friend. And if you're someone's friend, it will affect the way you treat them. It will affect what you do. And something just like that is going on in this passage. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it will affect the way you treat his people. It will show in what will you do. Indeed, it will become a, a way of life to you. You're always meeting believers who are in need of one kind or another. And if you belong to Christ, you try to do something about it. At the very least, what you do is you pray for them. And those without a relationship with Christ simply don't have that concern. They live their lives. It's characterized by an aloofness towards the people of God. And they they can take them or leave them as is convenient or not. But your relationship with Christ is something more than that. And it will show in the way you live your life. Now, I have to tell you something. It doesn't come from, uh, from what you do or don't do. You understand that. Your relationship doesn't come from that. It, it's not something that you earn. 
The kingdom of God comes to you as an inheritance. And that's what the text tells us. You don't work for it. It comes to you as a gift. It comes to you by grace. We are blessed by the Father. It comes to you through God's goodness because we belong to Christ, because we put our faith in him. We have a relationship with God, and from that relationship comes the things we do. And so those guys of mine, this friends back in the junior high days, in my mind, they were not my friends because of anything they could do for me. Such a thought never crossed my mind. They were just simply my friends. And I thought at the time, and I told myself over and over again, if Butch had treated one of them like that, I would have called him out on it. Maybe. <laughs> the truth is, I wouldn't have done any better if she was on the other foot. But I convinced myself I would have, and it certainly changed the way I thought about it. That is what Christ does for us. If you belong to him, you will act in a certain way. And if you don't, well, then maybe, maybe now you know why. If those things aren't characteristic in your life, maybe you know why. Maybe you're a Christian and your heart's just hard and you need to repent, or maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus. And if you haven't, I'm telling you, in your heart, you know that you're still on the outside. That day of reckoning is going to come for every one of us. And if you're accused of being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict you? There are really only two things I want to say about this passage to the left. First, eternal life and death really does hang in the balance. Verse 46 makes that clear. Then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When all is said and done, there are just two groups of people. One will live forever, and one will die forever. The question is, which group are you in? The parables in Matthew are given so that you might know. The believer longs for the return. He uses his gifts or her gifts as he spends their life advancing God's kingdom and they come to the aid of fellow Christians. The unbeliever, they can pretend. They may belong to a church, but their heart's not there and it shows in their life. The second thing to say is this. There really is a chance for you to do something for our Savior. One day I was reading the scriptures and I was reading that portion where Jesus was walking up the hill to Golgotha. And I had the picture in my mind of what that day must have been like. And I thought to myself, I wish, Lord, that I could have been there that maybe I could have picked up an end of the cross or maybe I could have said some encouraging word to you. Maybe, maybe I could have given you a drink and then this parable came to my mind and I realized 
I can. You can. Every time you do something for another believer, it is just like you're doing it to Christ himself. That doesn't motivate you. Where's your heart? Those on his right, those on his left. Don't be over there. Would you pray with me? Help us, Lord, to live in a way that pleases you. Help us, Lord, to remember that whatever good thing we do to some one person no matter how small they are because they belong to you we might as well do it to you yourself thank you for the opportunity to matter in Jesus name